Hey guys, welcome back to My Old Hands. Today's episode is with touring guitarist, music educator and author Sean Kelly from Toronto, Canada. So Sean's 2013 book, Metal on Ice, was at the time and still remains one of the most interesting books about heavy metal and hard rock that I've ever read, two of my musical interests and passions. And the book only added to my fascination with the arts and music culture of Sean's native Canada. So I'm super excited to share today's interview with you. Now we're gonna jump in part of the way into the conversation here where I just asked Sean a bit of a curly question about how to balance playing different roles in your artistic or creative career, being the artist or creator and also an efficient and effective business person, something Sean has done particularly well throughout his career as an artist. So without any further ado, let's jump into the conversation. I've never really felt 100% comfortable with people seeing me as anything but an artist, and I can get really hung up on that. I used to book bands and people would think, oh, that's Josh the Booker. And even now that I'm doing stand-up, I mean, only every so often I've booked a few shows and now people are already treating me as, oh, that's Josh the Booker. Am I just overthinking that? Well, I mean, I I think it depends, right? Like, I mean, if that's the face that you are showing to people most of the time, you know, you, you can't be too hung up or worried about it if that's how people recognize you. And, and you know, and if you're being recognized as a good booker, that's great. <laughs> but, but I get it. I get it. Cause you know, I, I, I feel the same way, you know, like I, I, I want people to recognize me as a guitar player. Right. So if I'm doing bass on a gig and people say, Oh, you're a bassist. I say, yeah, I, I want to scream out, yeah, but I'm really a guitar player. Right. I'm, 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 I write my own songs. I do this. I, I, I have all these other things, but, Honestly, I think if you're looking at a career in a holistic way, which as a creator, you have to look at this holistically from what I've seen. I mean, there are the odd people who can have one discipline and kind of focus on it and make a living, but just to pay the bills and to have a life and shelter and food, you have to look at it like a, a career in the arts in a holistic way. I, for the most part, most of us do. So I think you just absolutely excel at whatever you're doing. and your identity will be revealed by default. You know, I mean, you will find your strengths and your strengths will reveal themselves to people regardless, right? So I think if you focus in on the work and less on the perception of other people, which is something you can't control anyway, right? What you can control is the quality of whatever work you do. And then, yeah, there are outside factors, but I mean, I don't know, 30 plus years of doing this. I mean, there's no mystery to it. I mean, you know, you time and pressure kind of reveal what your strengths are and people by and large will discover those. I I think I actually really needed you to say that to me. And it's my way to make a joke out of nearly everything. There's probably, it's the ultimate height of egotism on my behalf to think that other people are thinking about me at all. (laughs) They're they're most likely not. So. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I, I, I did a gig uh, a couple of years ago and, and I had a guitar tech there and the guitar tech was so keen to let me know he was a guitar player. He wasn't doing his job. Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I, 
he, he was showing me the hot licks he could play. And I'm going, that's amazing, dude. But what I need you to do is set up my gear so I can do my job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and he just, and, and he kept asking, he goes, I just don't understand why I can't get gigs. I'm going, because you are literally trying to take mine right now. Yeah, well, and you're not doing the job. You've shown me that you can't do a job that you've been tasked to do and paid to do. And you are a fantastic guitar player. I told him this. I said, you're amazing. You played circles around me. But right now, you are demonstrating to everybody here that this is not, you're not somebody who can do what you are tasked to do. So you might be a great guitar player, but you are not a great working mate. So, you know, like if you had kicked ass on the job that you had to do. And then we talked about your guitar playing. That would have been a different thing. You would have, you know, shown me two things, you know, that, that is very true. And I think there was a point in your career as a guitar player where you'd kicked ass on a lot of gigs and then a really big opportunity got thrown your way, Sean, that was well outside of what you thought maybe you were capable of or what you'd want to take on with Nelly Furtado. So, right. Can you talk us through that moment? Because this show is about overcoming those big moments of either you don't believe in yourself creatively, you don't think you've got the tools, or you're facing some kind of block. And I got the feeling from hearing you talk about it that that was a moment where you really had to do some self-examination. 100%. That that opportunity came up because uh, someone who is a former guitar tech of mine, not the one who didn't do his job, but yeah, the one who always does. does his job. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was working in, in her camp. He was working in the Nelly Potato camp. And this opportunity came up where they needed somebody. She had just done a, a Spanish language album. They needed somebody who played, you know, classical guitar, Spanish guitar, but it could also play electric. And he thought of me. And it just so happened that her former guitar player, the person who was leaving, uh, was someone I went to school with. So there was these two kind of people who knew me and put in a word for me. But my first instinct was, I don't do that. I, I was at the moment playing in a band called Helix, a hard rock band from Canada. Uh, and I loved being in that band. That was a dream gig for me. So I was like, ah, you know, I'm in Helix. I play, I play rock and I, and I was playing bass in Helix at the time. But I, I said, you know, it's not my thing. I don't do pop. I don't do R&B. I don't do this. But I didn't really know much. I knew about her big hits, but I didn't really know much about her music. But my friend convinced me, no, oh, this is a great opportunity. Good money, travel the world. So I went in and I was completely out of my depth. When I first walked in, I'd never been in a rehearsal situation where you had tons of production people running around, a big, huge facility, and like <laughs> basically like an arena size rehearsal situation. And it was fast and furious, and the arrangements are changing. I'm playing with in ear monitors for the first time. I'm being forced to use this other guy's rig. And there were moments where I was like, oh, the hell with this. Uh, I, I, this is beyond me. Like I'm just getting lost. And some of the style of my, the, the player who had been in before, he, he had this amazing kind of Latin influenced jazz finger style approach. It's one really tricky tune, but I said, you know what? You're here. This is a great opportunity to play with one of the world's biggest pop stars. Do your best. So I just kind of put in the hours, you know, I just listened and slowed things down and figured out. And there was one point where my, I had to do that. I just had to work through it. But then I also had to acknowledge who I was. And I remember clearly, there's one point I'm trying to get sounds on this pedal board. I don't like anything I'm hearing. I'm playing through an amp. I don't like. And finally I said, give me a fucking Marshall. Like, <laughs> give me an amp. This is what I do. Yeah. And I turned that thing up because the guy was kind of giving me music directors, good, good buddy of mine now, but he was kind of getting on me. I said, you know what? If I'm going to burn out on this gig, I'll burn out being me. And I just 
played the way I play. And then he goes, oh, so you can play. Okay, great. <laughs> and it was like between that, like, you know, having to fulfill the requirements of the job, but also bring yourself into it. That's what, that was a big click moment for me where it's like, you have to be yourself, but that, that, that doesn't mean that you duck out on the work. You still have to play the parts. You still have to fulfill the requirements of the gig, but you will be more successful when you do that as yourself. So those two things came together. You mentioned in there quickly, and it might have been a name that a lot of people aren't familiar with quite so much as, say, a Nelly Furtado, but you actually, you didn't just have to make the choice to go and do something that you were unsure about. You had to leave something you dreamt about doing, playing for Helix. Like, that's two huge decisions in one moment. Like, that's massive. It was. It was. But, you know, and, and it's funny, I bugged Brian Vollmer, the singer of Helix, to be in Helix for years. I bugged him. Yeah, I actively pursued it because Helix was the first band I ever saw in concert, right? With Honeymoon Speed. I just bugged them. And eventually a bass gig came up and he tried me out. And I, I said, I'll play bass. That's fine. And, and, and I, I got the gig and, you know, we just played a big festival in the States, Rocklahoma with like Rat, Night Ranger. I'm like, man, I'm doing this. This is, this is the dream. I'm playing with all the bands I love. This is incredible. And then that opportunity came up. And it, it's funny, when I joined Helix, the first thing he said to me was, you play bass, but you won't be, you know, you won't be playing on any albums and you won't be writing any songs. Like there's, I've got a team for that. You're not, that's not part of it. And of course I took that as I'll be writing songs and playing guitar on that record. <laughs> so sorry, Sean, you, you took it as a challenge or you thought he'd opened a door without opening a door? No, yeah. no, no. I, I took it. As, I, I just said, no, that, that's not happening. I want to do that. So, <laughs> so I just, I took it as a challenge and I, remember clearly we were sitting backstage one day and I grabbed the guitar and said, Hey, here's something I wrote. And I could just see his eyes rolling. Right. Like I just told you, but he liked it. And then I played him something else and then it clicked and it turned out that we were amazing writing partners together. And at that moment it flipped where now I was going to be the main writing partner on the record. And we did a record called Vagabond Bones, which I'm very proud of. I actually co-produced that record. So I really just kind of shoved my foot in. So (laughs) it was tough to tell him then, oh, by the way, I'm going to leave the band because I've got this gig. But you know what? He was great. He, I, he gave me his blessing. You know, I, I remember we had a gig booked and he'd already bought a flight. And I just said, look, Brian, I'll pay the flight for the new guy. Don't worry. You know, I took care of the business end of things properly. And I felt good about that. And I left well. You know, you leave people well. That's a good life lesson, right? So I made sure it was everything was cool. He was cool. And we continue to have a writing relationship. We still do. Actually, just worked on a couple of songs with them recently, and I played on Helix Records all the way through. That's amazing, and we might touch on Helix in a minute because I want to get onto the book and the book Metal on Ice just to sure. finish up today. But just is there anything from maybe that Nelly Furtado experience operating at an even higher level than you ever had when it came to live production and the expectations people have and the amount of people that are involved that you've taken back to your other projects? Oh, a hundred percent. Like I've seen what it's like to be on the world stage on massive TV shows, massive festival bills, um, working with the best of the best. It, it, you can't help but be influenced by that. And also by working with someone like Nelly, who's just a world-class artist and see how hard she works. Not only is she a great artist, she's hardworking and she's honest in the way she conducts her business. Yeah, I absolutely. 110%. Every time you uh, integrate yourself into a, um, a situation where everyone's operating at a higher level, you, there's an opportunity to take that away and bring it back to whatever else you're doing. And, yeah. you know, I've been really lucky. Most of the situations I've been in since have, have been, you know, certainly in terms of professionalism, 
been on a similar level, right? Like it's, it's, you know, I, I have the opportunity to work with amazing artists and uh, incredible musicians. And yeah, I'd like to think though, that that really that once in a lifetime experience of being with an artist who is at the top of, you know, her game on a worldwide level has influenced how I approach other things. Hey legends, super quick. If you're wondering where you can find any of the things that are mentioned in today's episode, head on over to myoldhands.com and you'll find it all there. Okay, let's jump back into the conversation. Really that once in a lifetime experience of being with an artist who is at the top of you know her game on a worldwide level has influenced how I approach other things. Excellent. So we're going to take it back now a little bit from the world stage to the Canadian stages and some of them yeah. some of them a long way apart from each other. So your book, Metal on Ice, was a revelation for me in the fact that I've always had this fascination with Canada and it's been through my whole life, I think, because my dad went there early on on some of his own holidays and it's what he had a lot of photos of around the house. So I've always been fascinated mm. with it. But when I read that book, I thought, Wow, it's the Australian music story, but writ large. The weather's worse, the distances are even bigger, the conditions are crazy, and the big cities are even further apart. Can you tell us a little bit about just the scale of Canada that people don't understand when it comes to leaving your house to go play a show in another city? Because if you're in England right now, or if you're in America, particularly on the East Coast, you wouldn't really understand how far these places are apart. Well, you know what? I'm lucky where I live right now in Toronto. Actually, there's some there's some pretty good sized markets within mm. you know a two hour drive in any direction. Yep. But once you get outside of of southern Ontario and you start moving up north, the distances become much further. All of a sudden, you know, once you get past North Bay or Sudbury or Sault Ste. Marie, you're getting into eight hour drives, nine hour drives, twelve hour drives from one gig to another. Now, if you're trying to route a tour and make it financially feasible, you don't want too many days off. But you also have to factor in for the fact that you got to play a gig at night and then drive for eight hours, between eight, 10 hours, get there, somehow get rested up and do it all again. So, and, and not to mention the expense of gasoline or, you know, petrol, fuel, whatever you call it there, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, wear and tear on your vehicle, wear and tear on yourself. Sometimes you, you need to have extra accommodations, you know, in between drives. It's really, it's a massive logistic challenge, but it's also this massive physical challenge. Uh, when I was young, you know, we'd pile in a van and a Conline van and, you know, you'd all be sleeping in any contortion you could, you know, like it, <laughs> you'd make it work. And it was all pretty romantic, right? It gets a little less romantic as you get older. But, you know, it, 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 it's, it's crazy, right? Like you have to, and this is, we were doing this before, you know, it was the dawn of the internet when I was really doing it, right? So it wasn't like we were all sitting on smartphones, finding the quickest route, having Google Maps take us there. You know, we were still pulling out big maps and there were still the days of making sure you had enough quarters if you broke down that you could find a pay phone and phone somebody, you know, it was, um, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's a massive challenge and you do it all to play in, you know, when you're doing it at that level, you're playing in, you know, the rock bars, right? You're playing in, you know, these kind of rough joints and 
hoping that enough people have heard about you. You've done enough advanced promo or local interview, or you're opening for someone that you can kind of get people on board and sell enough merchandise that you can actually have the money to pay for the gas to get in the van to go to the next gig. Like it's (laughs) a real hand to mouth existence. Right. And it's, it's draining, but I'm really glad I went through that and I had the opportunity to go through that because number one makes you appreciate it when you start getting into, you know, the next level of, of, of travel and accommodation. Like when I was playing with Nelly, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the luxury Mm. of, we get our own rooms. I don't have to sleep with, a, you know, bunk with another guy or, or three other guys, yeah. you know, um, you know, it was, it was wonderful. So it, yeah, it, you build up a resiliency and there's something that actually seeps into your playing. You, you know, when you're doing that and you're on that grind and you're physically challenged all the time, but you know, there's something that just adds to the authority of your playing. And I hear that in bands that have gone through that. Mm. If you haven't, if you, as opposed to amazing technicians who might be practicing in their bedroom all the time, but haven't had to endure the hardships of trying to, you know, yeah, mix a two bands in the middle of when you're in Winnipeg. Yeah, and you you hear it in the musicianship, but you hear it in the artistry. You just hear mm-hmm. it in the performance, the authority in the performance. Yeah. I think one person to put it into perspective for me recently is my favorite nonfiction author who happens to be a Canadian singer, Alan Doyle, from the band Great Big Sea. He's, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. He said, if you drew a circle around Toronto, Canada's biggest music market, and it was a thousand kilometers, you would potentially touch on 10 million people. If you drew a circle the right. same size around his home city, which is St. John's in Newfoundland, you might cover a couple of yeah. hundred thousand people. So there's yeah. just no way to avoid those incredible distances and that harsh weather and those conditions if you want to play to other human beings. Well, especially if you're coming out from Newfoundland, right? Like, I mean, you know, I remember taking the ferry over there and going, (laughs) holy smokes, like this is really like going to Europe or something. Like this is like, you're going to another place here. Like it's, and then driving 10 hours across Newfoundland to get to the gig, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's, it's a haul. So like for a guy like Alan, I actually played with an artist from Newfoundland too, Chad Richardson, like for them. I mean, I, I thought it was a big deal driving three hours to Toronto. Like for them to, to make it, it's, 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 you know, multiply, multiply my struggles by 10, by 20, <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing what people do and how people from really remote regions find their way into this business. Like it, it, it boggles the mind. I think there is a special character that people have when they, if you pour that much effort as a group into getting somewhere and doing it, it's a release that maybe someone that has more convenience can't understand. For this moment, we're not sitting in a van. We're not worried about the weather and it's we're not freezing. We're not, you know, someone smoking with the window open and now we've all got, you know, ice on our lips. It's we're going to release all of that together on a stage. I'm not sure you get that when there's, yeah. if there's not if there's too much convenience, sometimes I'm not sure the artistry can flow quite as much. That's just my impression. No, no, you're right. But it speaks to drive, right? Like the drive to do something. That's what I, I tell anybody who asks me, Hey, you know, how long should I do this for? Or how long should I try to make it? Or, you know, I say the good news is here's the good news and the bad news. You're going to do it or you're not going to do it. And that's it. Yeah. That's you're either going to go for it and you're going to risk it and you're going to just dive in and find a way or you're not. So this is, this be relieved by that. And if you're not, 
Don't worry about it. You didn't want to. That's it. Like, you know, don't, don't, don't complain about it because you had some romance because it wasn't a real image of what it actually is. You need to know what it really is to do it. Yeah. And if you're sitting there facing it down and you continue doing it, then you're going to do it. And eventually something's going to happen. End, end of the story. And I think that that's a perfect way maybe to end today's interview. So Metal on Ice, quickly, we've been talking about this incredible book. Sean, you're a great writer too, I have to put. And I read somewhere in the vicinity of 100 books a year. So you're, the book, oh it's a fantastic book in terms of writing. For those people out there that are wondering, I, I still can't conceptualize exactly what the book is. It was a study of underappreciated hard rock and heavy metal bands from Canada and how being Canadian in a way reflected in those bands in an identifiable sense and it's really fascinating and I'll have a link I've been listening to some of the bands I've also been listening to what I can find of Sean you are a fantastic guitar player whether you've talked yourself up or down today I'm not sure mate it's been both ways but you're an incredible guitar player so <laughs> I really appreciate well, your you. your time I really appreciate the book I re I recently reread it I think for the third time and Oh my because gosh. I'm so so obsessed with Canada in general, I know these names of towns now from reading, from listening to Alan Doyle's books and these other places. I've got an idea, and I can conceptualise some of the, you know, some of the scenery and different things. And yeah, so I get more out of it every time I read it. So yeah, it's great. Well, thanks, man. Well, I got a new book coming in May of 2023. That's not about Canada, but it's it's actually called "Don't Call It Hair Metal." art in the excess of 80s rock. So I, I kind of went and did a deep dive on what that music meant to me and kind of did like a, a look at artistic intention and uh, sonic evolution through, you know, the decade of the 80s for that kind of melodic hard rock of that era. So maybe you'll, maybe you'll dig that too. Excellent. And just for people that might want to find you online, where are you most active and or would like to hear from people? Yeah, you know what? My, my Instagram at Sean Kelly guitar you know i i i, I kind of i find myself kind of going there most of the time might be able to find me on facebook at the same address too um yeah you know i i don't i i i have to get uh it's funny doing all these things usually i'm working with someone else who has someone working their social media but i'm playing with lee aaron yep. who's a, an amazing canadian artist I play with coney hatch you know alan Fru from glass tiger uh you you can, you can find me floating around out there <laughs> do a search for sean kelly you're gonna find an irish cyclist uh, a guy who used to play with In Excess and me, I, I'm, I'm lingering somewhere on the bottom. <laughs> well, well, I'm in Australia, so Google put, pointed me straight to the In Excess guy first. So, <laughs> ah, okay, there you go, yeah. there you go. So, well, thank you so much, Sean. Thank you for the book once again, and also, you, I'm never going to listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit again with quite the same admiration after hearing about how much pain that song caused. It, <laughs> that's it. It did, but you know it's funny. I I I, I actually loved it. Yeah, like I, so do I, 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 I did love it. it, but it hurt too. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's but, it. Yeah. You guys will have to read the book if you want to know more about what that means, right, Sean? That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Josh. Great talking to you, and, and all the best. <laughs>